2 Peter chapter 1. Simon Peter, a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to them that have obtained like precious faith with us through the righteousness of God and our Savior Jesus Christ. Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus Christ our Lord, according as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness, through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. And beside this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge temperance, and to temperance patience, and to patience godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness charity. For if these, for if these things be in you, and abound, they make you that ye shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But he that lacketh these things is blind and cannot see afar off, and hath forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. Wherefore the rather, brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure, for if you do these things, you shall never fall. For so an entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You may be seated. Greetings and blessings. It's good to be here today. It's good to see you all, especially uh, those who I know. I was thinking, I, uh, I first came around these parts about 30 years ago. And um, I am seeing some people that I met 30 years ago. I have moved on to what um, maybe some people might call like nearing the old man stage and so. And then some of you were already what I would have called the old men. And I see quite a number of you. And I was wondering if some of you have not actually begun eternity in time. Because it seems like most of you don't look very much older than when I first saw you 30 years ago. And... Uh, it seems like I'm kind of catching up. But uh, that could be as a result of the blessings of life as God, yeah, has promised. 
they that would love life and see good days. But it's good to see you, and I greet you all in the name of Jesus, the only name that is worthy to be praised. I think a number of you already are familiar with myself, but uh, I'd just like to give you a little bit of a backdrop. Uh, you might have heard of uh, Belize and Hattieville. Miss Nancy is here. She, uh, she probably laid a number of cornerstones down there. And uh, in the early 60s, very early 60s, 61, we had a, a great disaster. I was four years old, and I, I, I can still easily recollect that incident, though I was only four years old. And so that gives an indication of, of how it really was. People don't normally remember things quite easily after like almost 60 years have passed. And uh, yeah, the AMA, it was, who came in, our country, and uh, our new community, Hattieville, I remember well, those incidents too, Brother Lester. I was four years old, like I said, but I remember when uh, that transpired, I remember seeing these, uh, if you don't mind my saying it, white people living, coming to Hattieville and uh, yeah, we couldn't understand all the details of that. I could not understand all the details of that. But today I, I understand that the missionaries came. And um, Hattieville was actually the first established AMA church in that country. It began with house meetings, and until a number of people who fellowshiped there decided that it's time we have a church, probably in the early 60s, 64, 65, 66. Those were the uh, developing time of the church, 67. And uh, yeah, a congregation was formed there in the 60s. That, uh, that fellowship grew, and uh, today we have, in our community, since then, moved from the old Hattieville to the new, an established church. Uh, our first local pastor was ordained in 1978. He was uh, Brother Gilbert Stevens, and a number of his children 
are here present with us this morning. Two of his sons, one of his daughters. His wife, I think, is here. Yes, she is. And uh, myself was ordained a year after in 79. The, the church experienced local leadership in 91, I think that was, when myself was ordained bishop at the church. And we have, since then, been enjoying the blessings of that effort. Anymore, uh, we see AMA personnels like once per year. And uh, it's continually good to see them. But for those who might not have known, that's just like kind of a skim on the surface that you could be somewhat aware of, yeah, even myself, why I'm here, through which means. So we want to welcome you now to our time of fellowship in the Word. And the reading, the scripture reading, gives us a challenge that we should not forfeit. God has provided for us all things that pertains to our life and our godliness. And these are stuff here. They are not my style of thing. Even before I was converted, I never wore a sunshade. I never wore glasses, never wore hats, caps, rings, even before I was converted and had a hard time getting adjusting to a watch. I take off my watch every night. I can't sleep with it. I, I have it on. But I'm not used to having myself hitched up with additional pieces. It's, uh, I have a very fairly sensitive body. And I think... Um, like the setting here behind my ear is making me a little bit like, you know, jumpy. So I'll ask your prayers for me in the course of this time so that I could be distracted from the contraptions and focus fully on the Word of God. But Peter admonishes us and reminds us that God has provided everything that pertains to our life and our godliness. He is urging us to allow our lives to benefit in its fullest measures, seeing that you and I are drawing continuously from divine bounties. I'd like for us to turn in our Bibles to Hebrews chapter 6. And the title of my message today is The Art of Growing Up. 
And I'd like to remind ourselves, growing up does not necessarily mean getting old. People can get old and don't grow up. Growing up is, is more than moving from age to age. Growing up should also take us from stage to stage. Our lives, as especially as a child of God, that's what I'm speaking of, should, as a result of the effective working of the power of God's grace, like the Apostle Paul says in the book of Corinthians, should be changing from glory to glory. And as we continue to live our lives for God, the reflection of the glory of God's grace should be so evident, so obvious, that there should be absolutely no question as to how well we have developed in the grace of God. The scripture urges us that we should grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Peter admonishes us to allow the increment of his divine graces to envelope our lives and to manifest itself in our daily walk of life. The Hebrew writer says in 6, 1 to 3, Therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, let us go on unto perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God, of the doctrine of baptism and of laying on of hands and of the resurrection of the dead. And this will we do if God permits. And so we have consented with an understanding from God's word that we will cooperate with the divine to enhance a continuous development of our lives. And like Paul says in the book of Ephesians, until we come to the fullness of the stature of our Lord Jesus Christ, until we are his height, his weight, and his altogether. Am I? And I'm not speaking this morning of the expansion of your borders as a congregation. This morning, we would like to think on growing up as an individual, as a person, as a child of God. It's good to see growth and development. It's good to see uh, churches that, that expand their borders. All these are right. They are appropriate. It's good to see uh, having more members than we had before. All that is right. But I think it's also good to see our lives developing. And I'm trusting, holy and beloved brethren, that we are alive in Christ today. And so be it, then growth becomes the inevitable. Among the things that living things do, Apart from other things that they need to do, living things grow. And that's one way you will know if you are alive in Christ. 
Can, can you remember, maybe we have had the experience, when we were like, like little, I mean, actually little in our own eyes, because there are times when we kind of move away from that and think we are bigger than we actually are. But there was a time when we considered ourselves little in our own eyes, and somebody would say, hey, you are, you are really growing up into a, a big boy. We feel uh, that, thing's, that thing makes us feel good if they say, hey, you're getting into a big boy now. You're going into a big girl now. It impresses our mind. Now, what will God say? We feel quite a bit of pride. And it made us feel good to know that we were growing. But is it not important, as important for us, to desire growth in our spiritual lives? And oftentimes we see, time and time again, confessing, we see little people, little Christian people in grown-up bodies. Not what God would desire for us to be. And so, dearly beloved, we are encouraged. Second Thessalonians 1, 2, and 3. We are encouraged to grow. We are to reflect this morning, especially on some of the thoughts that was shared in Second Peter chapter 1. And we are to ask ourselves, am I growing up? Am I growing up? Young ones and old ones too. I'd like for you to ask yourselves, granddaddy, grandmommy, am I growing up? And you said, well, I'm pretty old and I'm pretty grown. And I've probably even gone over the hill. Ask ourselves, and I'd like to give a challenge to every individual one of us, from the youngest with understanding to the oldest of us all. Ask yourself the question, am I growing up? Because sometimes it's, it also happens that we, we get old, we are here long, we are in this thing just about all our lives, and we become so established, right, that we get stuck. A lot of people, very well established, but as well, they are stuck. One place of life. And so I have here this morning a number of thoughts I would like to share with you on growing up. Asking ourselves the question, am I growing up? And I want you to take note of these thoughts mentally. You can write if you want. And kind of use it somewhat as a guideline. I believe they are very practical. I, for myself, have tried to apply them to my personal life. And I believe it has enhanced to a great extent even the way I live. So the first one. I think I am really growing up, I'm going to say it like that, when I am able to honestly recognize my own faults, and work toward a helpful solution to improve myself. You get that one? I am growing up when I'm able to honestly recognize my own faults and work toward a helpful solution to improve myself. 
Recently, we conducted an interview for a school teacher, and on our interview, we have two questions. One say, list some of your strengths. And uh, there was one person, a male person, who eagerly expressed those strengths. And the second question was, list at least two of your weaknesses as a teacher. And he did like this. So I don't think I have any weaknesses. He did not think he had any weaknesses as a teacher. A growing spiritual mind, a growing spiritual life is able to recognize their incompletion. The Hebrew writer says that we now are moving on to perfection. The Apostle Peter said to us this morning that God provides a measure of grace and all that is necessary to enhance our spiritual development. And verse 5 of that chapter says, And beside this, giving all diligence, add. And so Peter is suggesting that there is a cooperation, a collaboration with ourselves and God and a necessary human effort where you and I indulge ourselves to make a difference in the way we live our personal lives. Obviously, when it is convenient, we have a way of saying Nobody is perfect, don't we? Yeah, we have a way of saying that. And yet, when we are approached with our imperfection, we give the impression, but hey, you are talking to a perfect man. We don't say it out with words, but we behave in the manner. If you are growing up, I believe you will be able to detect your faults and work towards a helpful solution. In the book of Malachi chapter 1, and look, look at the response here that was given. Malachi chapter 1 and verse 6 and 7. And people are very much like this, I would say today. Turn with me to the book of Malachi chapter 1. A son honoreth his father, and a servant his master. If I then be a father, where is mine honor? And if I be a master, where is my fear? Said the Lord of hosts unto you, O priest that despise my name. And he say, wherein have we despised thy name? God says, you have despised my name. They say, oh. He offered polluted bread upon mine altar, and he say, wherein have we polluted thee? In that he say, the table of the Lord is contemptible. But the, the challenge here we want to observe, even when from time to time ourselves are confronted with divine awareness, yet it seems as if we are not certain if we have wronged God. And God himself is saying to us, this is not right. People, have a way of responding. I didn't do anything wrong. What have I done? They were saying. I used to 
one time be involved in a prison visit. And uh, several of the guys that I would speak to would say, in, in all belief terms, Mr. Man, I don't know why I there. Because in Bali, they just picked me up and, you know, in English they were saying, why am I here? I am in the prison, an innocent man. And so I recall very well one time, as I visited and I was speaking up, I told the guys that before long, I will be in here with you guys. And so one of the guys said, what? What happened? I told him, the truth is, I didn't do anything wrong. I went to prison and haven't done anything wrong. If you are growing up, you will recognize your faults. And there are times when people assist us in becoming aware of our faults. But I'm saying, dearly beloved, if you are unable to detect your own incompetence, your own weaknesses, your own failures in your personal life, then that is an indication that you have been stunted. The sensitive, conscious mind of the child of God in whom God's grace is working becomes alert to those areas of his life. Not only aware of how well he can do things, but much more, he is aware of things that are not done well. Let's look at the second one. We won't have all of them, but we can look at some of them. Here's a question. Can I say sorry to whom I might have offended or injured? without being otherwise urged to do so. There have been life situations where we have people who come in and they assist and they intervene to make peace. You probably have had that experience here from time to time. Something cannot be settled quite well. And so we have those who want to assist to get the peace established. I've often questioned why should that be among Christian people? Why should I need to come in to assist you to amend a wrong? Are you understanding what I'm saying? And I'm not saying that I am not to do it. I am saying if we are growing up, we will not need anybody to come to us to urge us to make a wrong right. Why should we? We are, the word of God says, to be aware. I like Zacchaeus. We, we, we give him somewhat of a, of a children classification. Zacchaeus is, 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 is the child's story. Zacchaeus, we sing the children's song. But Zacchaeus oftentimes have proven himself more mature than many of us who call him a children man. When Zacchaeus met Jesus, look at the response. Let's, let's read a few verses here. Zacchaeus 
life is clear. Luke 19, verse 1 through 10. And we'll read this entire story. And, and we won't read it as a children's story this morning. We are reading this portion of scripture as an adult story. So that we ourselves can get the lesson. And Jesus entered and passed through Jericho. And, he, and behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus, which was the chief among the publicans. And he was rich. And he sought to see Jesus who Jesus was, and could not because of the greatness of the crowd, and he was very short. And he ran before and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was passing that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and saw him and said unto him, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down, for today I must abide at thy house. And so there was an experience with Jesus and Zacchaeus. And he made haste and came down and received Jesus joyfully in his heart, in his life. He received Jesus joyfully in his life. And when they saw it, they, were, they all murmured that he was going to be, to be a guest with a man that is a sinner. Jesus did this. And Zacchaeus stood and said unto the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods... I give to the poor. Who told him to do that? Zacchaeus said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have taken anything from any man by false accusation, I restore him fourfold. Did Zacchaeus tell Jesus to do that? Did he? Somebody want to answer? Did Zacchaeus tell Jesus? Did Jesus tell Zacchaeus to do that? Not at all. So why did he do that? Why did Zacchaeus do that? A change of heart. A change of life. Why is it necessary from time to time in many Christian congregations... That there needs to be those who should urge others to make their wrongs right. Dearly beloved, if I am growing up in Christ and I am dining, I am his guest and he is mine, then responsively, because of the life of Christ, it becomes quite easily for me to recognize the fact that I have offended. Nobody needs to tell us that. Most of the time, when we have offended, we intended to offend. Many of the times we offend, not with the intent, but if we would give just a brief time of recollection, we would be aware of the fact that we had offended. Wouldn't we? So who needs to tell me that? Consider that. And I'm just kind of going through a little bit quicker than I intended due to time. It is God's will that your life and mine be blameless. That's the word of God. Blameless. 
And blameless does not signify that I did nothing wrong. Blameless, like the word of God says, that we be blameless and without reproach indicates that if in the course of my life I did wrong, if in the course of my time I offended, then I become consciously aware of that fact and without any exterior involvement as a result of the newness of the nature of my heart, I am able to sensitively detect that somehow I did offend this someone. And I move now with my own initiatives, with my own motivation, with my own divine intent in my heart to produce in me a blameless individual. Do we need to be told, go and make your wrong right? Then you are not growing well. You're not growing well. Let's look at another one. Can I put others first and watch them excel even at my expense without feelings of resentment or bitterness? And this one is not a very easy concept. If you read earlier in Hebrews chapter 5, before we read Hebrews chapter 6, Hebrews chapter 5 said that there are what we call meat for men. When I give my uh, grandsons who love meat like myself beef, they chew it up and bring it back for me. In other words, I say, Grandpa, you eat that because I can't up. I cannot chew that up and swallow it. And the word of God says, people in the Christian church simply find it too difficult to do. Some of us cannot chew beef and swallow it. Some of us are not men. And so when certain experiences or lives, we cannot well cope with it. And this is why Paul said in the other chapter of 6 that you and I need to move on. You and I need to learn the art of crunching down and squeezing hard enough that that experience becomes so fine that we can easily swallow it. And one of the meat for men, I would want to believe, is to have others, and again we sing this song, J-O-Y, right? Jesus first, others next, so we go. Jesus first, ourselves last, and others in between. But we, normally we sing it J-Y-O, but when we say that, right? Because we still don't want others ahead of us. And I'm not casting any reflection on the song maker, but why could he not had sung that song saying Jesus first, others next, and find something for that why that applies to me. So they say J-Y-O. 
But what I'm simply saying, can we afford to have others benefit, to have others even excel? Let not every man, Paul says, look on his own things, but also on the things of others. Several years ago, Brother Kelvin and I, he was with me, I recall well, and, and, and that one really, really impressed my mind. We visited a furniture shop in Ohio, and here was a brother who had three workers along with himself in a shop in his basement. And he showed us around, and yeah, and he even gave us some cutboards to take back to Belize, some marble stones-like stuff. And we, we took our heavy cutboards back to Belize. But we also visited another place. And the office in itself was larger than that man entire shop. And the business had so many employees. And we had our cutboards in our hand. And then the owner, a Christian brother, of that business saw our cutboards and he said, Where did you get those? And we told him. He said, Oh, yes, he's my rival. Brother Kelvin and myself both burst out laughing. I don't know if he got what I got, but we obviously got the same thing. How can a man that is 40 times less your size be your rival? How can that ever be? The word of God says, you and I have a failing tendency to be so observant on our personal intents, our personal aspirations, our personal goals, our personal achievements, our personal whatever it is, experiences for our hearts and my heart, the greatest priority. How can a man, and I'll say, you might say, how, how can it? I like to say this. Your experience will come one of these days and you will know if you were able to do this. I don't have a whole lot of examples to give you. But one of these days, the experience will come to your life to prove to you whether you have the grace and ability not only to look on your own things, but to look on the things of others. How possible is that for us to do something where we are consciously aware that by doing this, this man gains even a financial advantage above myself? Is that quite possible? That's one of the art of growing up. Can we accept support one or even appreciate criticism without resentment or reacting? Sometimes we get nervous even with suspicion. And I've asked this question before. You ever, you ever came upon a group of people conversing. You see they are 
open in their conversation. The communication is flowing well. And you step up, and everybody gets silent. And then the smartest man in the crowd tries the tactic of subject change. You ever get an experience like that? Uh-huh. Yeah, the conversation's going well. You walk up, everybody shut up, and the wise guy, you know well, has just shifted that conversation, not even for your benefit. How does that feel? You know what is the normal conclusion when we get exposed to such an experience? He must have been talking about me. You ever think he must have been talking about me? Yeah. And he probably was talking about you. But maybe he was not. Because what makes us think that every time somebody talks, it has to be me? Am I so important that I am the center of every existing congregation uh, conversation? Well, in the matter of criticism, that does not go well. If we know people are saying things about us, that truly hurts. I tell you, that hurts. And this is a challenging aspect of growth. But in 1 Peter chapter 1, chapter 2 and verse 23, it said of Jesus, when he was reviled, he reviled not again. When he was threatened, he opened not his mouth, but committed himself to him that judged righteously. And, and not the way we do it sometimes, right? Because we have a way of committing that person to him that judges righteously. Like, I don't know how you say it in your culture, but in my culture we will say, um, yeah, God and Georgia. But you know what we want? We want God to judge him and condemn him for what he did wrong. That's why we, some of us pass judgment to God because we are expecting that God should execute for the wrong. So we say we leave him to God, right? Jesus did not leave the revilers to God. Who did Jesus leave to God? We just read it. Jesus left himself to God. Who when he, Jesus, reviled, reviled not again. When Jesus was threatened, he didn't even open his mouth. But he committed himself to God who judged righteously. God judge me, not them. Normally, all human tendency in the face of criticism, when we are being reviled, when we are being disrespected, we are desirous to see how God's judgment will come upon them. Jesus says, judge me. Judge me. How do we respond to criticism? How do we react when we are supposing that this is transpiring? Moses had the experience, you know of him. David had the experience. And I, and I, and I, liked, I liked David's behavior. 
when, uh, when uh, he lost that uh, time of battle and all the people were gone, their wives were gone, their things were gone, and they say, you always go like you're any kind of big leader. Huh? You thought you were a great leader. Now look what happened to us. We have suffered a great loss. Maybe even in the church, one of us ministers might get that for a reflection. Huh? What do we do? The crowd is not with you. So who do we go to? I learned something many years ago. And I'm telling you, it's not an easy thing to do. In the book of Samuels, 1 Samuel chapter 30, verse 6, somewhere about, it's somewhere here in the note. The word of God says, but David encouraged himself in the Lord. David encouraged himself. Himself, in the face of criticism, he was able, not like many of us who become so disabled, we pull ourselves into our little petty crying corner and we say, oh, man, why don't you go out like this? A lot of crying. David encouraged himself in the Lord. And that's not an easy thing. That takes a man to do that. It takes a man. And he spoke to himself. And I'm not certain what David told himself in God. But I recall several years ago, I was having a very troubling experience. And I, and I got to work quite on time. And I, I went in the restroom. I didn't know someone was there. And I was talking to myself and I was telling myself that I should not allow this incident to tear me down. And I was speaking aloud. And somebody was in the restroom, and I did not know when he came over and said, ha, ha, I got you talking to yourself. <laughs> but... Are we able to encourage ourselves? Can we speak to ourselves? And sometimes I think we know, some, sometimes we know well that ourselves are so stubborn sometimes that we ourselves cannot speak to ourselves. Bad enough that people can talk to us, but we cannot even talk to our own selves sometimes because we don't even listen to our own selves. And David, he said, you know what? I won't let this thing trouble me, Lord. And he spoke and encouraged. Well, I guess uh, I never thought on David encouraging himself in the Lord when that guy came up. But when he said that, I told him, every so often, I need somebody truly sensible to talk to. And when I feel that way, I talk to myself. The truth was, however, I was encouraging myself in the Lord. And I was doing it in such an audible way that I got caught and did not know how to explain it. I was telling myself, don't let this thing bother you. Don't let that reaction keep you down. You should be, and I was literally speaking. Well, are you able to cope with the negatives? 
We like the praise. We like the pump. We like the splendor. But are we able to cope with the negatives? And that is what will prove manhood or womanhood on your part. When something isn't so nice, you hear it, you know it. It's there as plain as day. It is you thereon. What do you do? How do you handle that? I'm not certain how time looks here. I didn't look up when I started. But let's go swiftly and come to an end. Can I accept responsibility for failure without trying to shift or hope the blame on others? Shift or hope the blame. Your thing. You're bad, we call it. But if there's an existing possibility that my bad can be shifted to someone else, I wouldn't mind. Aiken. Save ourselves the reading. You know the story. Aiken admitted, I have sinned, which was good. But not good enough at the time when he did it. If Achan knew that he had sinned, why did he wait until the whole process was ended? When the arrow was now pointing, then he said, yeah, that's me. What was Achan hoping for? Why did he not say from the outbreak, I have sinned? Biding the time, hoping someone else might have done the same thing, and that individual would have owned up to something probably? Why do we delay the acknowledging of our wrongs? Why do we delay and wait and hope that somehow there's a possibility that the weight of this accountability might be placed on someone else? That no me. And then when they finally catch you, say, yes, that me. Yes, that me. Growing up has the ability to do that. Growing up derives greater pleasure from what I give rather than from what I can receive. And we know that that's, that's, a, that's an easy verse. It is more blessed, we say, the Bible say, to give than to receive. But be honest. Which one of those feel the most blessed to you? Biblically, it's more blessed to give than to receive. But which one of the two feels the most blessed to you? Sometimes we think, sometimes we pray, sometimes we evaluate before we finally decide to give, right? Is it a worthy cause? Does he, is, does he justly deserve it? And we go on and on in our reasoning. And lo and behold, the other guy, without a second thought, shares with you. Which is more blessed? Now, I'm not saying what does the Bible say. 
I'm asking which feels the more blessed to you as an individual, when you give or when you get. And that's a challenge for yourselves because you know that. You know that. Let's look at another one. I know I'm growing up when I become more concerned about how others are affected by what is being said and done by me. There are too many Christians that simply don't care. And some of us have said that oftentimes with words and actions. You don't care what he thinks. Why should I not care what he thinks? I should care. How concerned am I about how others are affected by what is being said and done by me? How does my life affect another person? How does it affect me to know that my life has affected you? Shrug it off. Sometimes we even think what we dish out to another person, he deserves it. Sometimes, yeah, we think in our mind that he deserves it. And so we let him have it. And there it goes. That's not what God wants for us. Let's look at 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 2. But we have renounced the hidden things of dishonesty, not walking in craftiness nor handling the word of God deceitfully, by but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience. It is vitally important what people think of you. It is vitally important that when people think of you, they think of you as a Christian. They think of you as a child of God. It is vitally important that the way you and I live our lives and speak our words, that the conscience of the other individual commends your existence as a Christian. It is not right for people to be questioning in their minds based on your behavior, based on your words. Is he truly a Christian? It's not good. And so what you and I do by words, and the Bible admonishes that, right? Let your speech be with grace, seasoned with salt, Right? Know how to talk as a child of God. Know how to express yourself in a way that uh, I think um, what the scripture is saying, it's like you're presenting a meal to the person. That when the person take a taste of that speech, it's enjoyable, it's palatable. And I've often asked myself the question, and I ask you the question, if your own words 
were placed before you on a platter to be eaten, would you enjoy it? After you have expressed yourself, they would take that form of expression, put it on a plate, and give it to you to eat. Would you enjoy that meal? We have an old saying, be careful of the words you say. Keep them soft and sweet, for you might never know one day which ones you'll have to eat. How well do we commend ourselves to the consciences of other men? Paul says, we exercise ourselves to keep our consciences void of offense now, both towards God and man. So we commend ourselves to every man's conscience and we exercise ourselves to be clear in our own consciences, not only toward God, but also toward men. Can I suffer injustices without becoming embittered or being wrong without retaliating? Nobody loves to be slighted. We normally desire what we think we are justly due. But for the most part, remind ourselves we are unprofitable servants. Paul said in one place, the less, the more I love, the less I'm being loved. You ever feel that? The more you love, the less you're being loved. Here you think you are, you're exercising all your energies and efforts to display the virtue of affection and charity, and you observe the response of people. Dear brethren, I advise you, love anyway. This shows you are growing up. On his cross, Jesus on his cross, even on his cross, Hanging on his cross, said, Father, forgive them. Forgive them, for they know not what they do. Even hanging on his cross. Now we might think that we have our cross. And we might think that he or she presents to us a trial of life. But dearly beloved, that is what will indicate the evidence of your spiritual growth and development. Can I control my temper and divert my anger into useful rather than destructive energies? Charity suffer it Long. And it didn't end there, right? <laughs> this maturity, this level of growth is not merely somebody that can take it. Because some of us can take it. And some of us have been taking it for an extensive period of time. But here it says, the sufferer takes opportunity and keenly looks for an opportunity to do well. 
for those that makes him suffer. Constructive, that is. Bless your heart if you are able to endure the continuous trial and affliction of your faith. But the word of God says, bless, bless very much. Bless your heart. If you can, in the midst of that experience, seek an opportunity to be constructive for the well-being of that offender. Yeah. That's growing up. I can drink from the cup of human praise, this is one, without becoming intoxicated with foolish pride. Can we be praised without becoming turkeyfied? Yeah. Remember the story with that toad? The, 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 um, the, the grandson, I think, Mr. Cow. And he, he, he tried to tell the grandpa about this thing. The grandson never knew. I don't know if, if he knew it was a cow and not a toad. And the big fellow said, how big was it? Like this. Or like this. And the poor grandpa tried to get as big as he could. And then he finally got pop. How well can we be praised without becoming super puffed up with human pride. And let's look at this last one. Have I learned that above all things that the fear of God and the keeping of his commandments is the highest calling of life? Let us fear God and keep his commandments. And then Jesus came and shuffled it down to two. And this is maturity. Love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, with all thy soul, with all thy strength, with all thy might. And thy neighbors as thyself. And Jesus says, that's your whole duty. That's a grown-up fellow, a grown-up girly, a grown-up man who can do that well. Let's kneel for prayer.